The Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, Episode 19. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. The Cannabis Heals Me podcast is brought to you by The Grow CFO. For all your cannabis accounting and tax needs, find out more information at www.thegrowcfo.com. Hey, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. Welcome back to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. We're broadcasting once again from the Storybook Inn Studios, and I am your host, Rachel Kennerly. So glad you've joined us today. I hope everyone has had a chance to listen to our bonus episode on Friday. If you haven't, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's about a great organization called Free Relief. They are giving away non-psychoactive cannabinoid tinctures to cancer patients and veterans in the state of Michigan. So if you haven't had a chance to check out that episode, I strongly encourage you to go back and make sure you pick it up. If you're enjoying the show, share it with your friends and family and co-workers and anybody else that you think will listen. We want to get the message out about this plant. And if you're talking to somebody that thinks it's just about getting high, that's our target audience. We don't want to speak into an echo chamber. We want to share these stories and bring more people into the fold to let them know that this plant is medicine. And for some people, it's even life. So I encourage you, please continue to share the stories. We want to get these out. We want to change hearts and minds. We want to see a day where the federal government doesn't tell us what we can or can't put in our bodies. Or more states get on board and tell the federal government, we're nullifying this federal prohibition law. And we're going to allow our citizens to put in their own body what they want to. And if you'll bear with me for just a few more minutes before we get into today's episode, I want to kind of give you an update on some exciting changes that we've got coming to the podcast. Now, you know that we are a storytelling podcast. And I love that aspect of our podcast. But as we tell these stories and we change people's hearts and mind and we bring them into the fold of cannabis as medicine, they're going to have a lot of questions. So we're going to, over the next couple of months, start introducing some educational components into what we're doing with cannabis. We want to tell people the history of prohibition. How does prohibition affect people on a grand scale? Somebody that's been arrested for prohibition, how does that affect them? What are some other uses of cannabis and hemp? We want to incorporate that into what we're doing. We're going to continue our storytelling, but then we'll do a bonus episode to bring in some educational content. So we're excited about that aspect. If there's any subject in particular that you would like to see us cover on either the medical story side or about the educational side, send us an email, podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. Now, I know I had mentioned last Monday that today I would be releasing the second part of the interview that I did with Amanda Hughes Munson, but I've decided to push that back and release it later this week as a bonus episode. It seemed to go more hand-in-hand with the educational component that we're trying to bring into the podcast, so that'll be available later this week, and instead, our guest today is Mr. David Bass. He is a retired military officer who was prescribed a slew of medicine by his physician to treat his PTSD and chronic pain from injuries that he suffered while he was in the military after he got out. 
He spent years on pharmaceutical medications before he discovered the miracle of the cannabis plant, and he became a medical marijuana user. He also became an outspoken activist in his home state of Texas, and he currently serves as the Director of Veterans Outreach for Texas Normal. David, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you on today. I've been seeing your post on Facebook, and looks like you've been down in Austin a lot recently during the legislative session. And I wanted to have you on the program to tell us about your story with cannabis and how you became an advocate for it. Now, I believe if I've read correctly, you are retired military. Is that correct? Yeah, I served uh, 25 years in the U.S. Army. And when I retired, I was 60% disabled for PTSD and chronic pain. And, uh, of course, I was given psychotropic medications for PTSD and opioids for chronic pain. And um, I became, I felt addicted to the opioids and uh, very dependent on the psychotropic medications. And the psychotropic medications had really bad side effects. So with my doctor, you know, I'd say, I don't like that one. And we'd try another one. And I'd say, I don't like that one. And, and uh, they all had, you know, serious drawbacks. And so I was reading online one day and saw two words together that I had never seen together before. And one word was medical. And the other word was marijuana. Uh, I was like, oh, well, I know what marijuana is. I don't know what they're talking about here, medical marijuana. So that was about 2007, I guess. And uh, so I started following these legalization organizations on the internet and reading everything I could about medical marijuana. Eventually, I started using marijuana as medicine and basically performed an experiment on myself, uh, which was to use uh, marijuana as medicine every day for an entire year and see what happened. And what happened was at the end of the year, I was not using opioid pain medications or psychotropic medications. I had stopped being an alcoholic uh, and I stopped smoking cigarettes. So I considered the experiment to be a uh, success. Yeah, I'll say. (laughs) And uh, I got myself to Austin and joined Texas Normal. And they said uh, they needed a, a veterans outreach person. Uh, because they had realized that veterans had a need for this issue. And so in 2013, I became the director of veterans outreach for Texas Normal. Okay. Well, what were your feelings toward the plant before you started down this path? You said you'd never seen medical marijuana in the same sentence. Did you think it was just about getting high? Yes, uh, absolutely. Because I I smoked marijuana back in the 70s, way back in the day, recreationally. (laughs) Uh, but of course, in my 25 years in the army, I did not smoke marijuana. And in fact, I was an officer and I kicked a large number of people out of the army for using marijuana because we had a zero tolerance policy back in those days. So I not only did not use marijuana, uh, but as an officer, I it's called chaptering them out of the army. Uh, when when my soldiers came up uh, hot on the urinalysis for uh, marijuana, we just kicked them out of the army. That that was it. That was the end. Uh, and it was a pretty large number of soldiers now that I look back on it. And so when I got out of the army and retired, of course, I just considered marijuana to be a, a recreational 
drug. And so it wasn't until I started reading these uh, articles about medical marijuana and states that had legalized medical marijuana that I started uh, seeing marijuana as, seeing this plant as medicine. What is the military's position on marijuana at this point? Has that shift, has that stance shifted any over the past few years? Man, the Army kicked so many people out for marijuana, they had to say, okay, now it's going to be two strikes and you're out. Seriously. Because they, they knew, we knew we were kicking out good soldiers, right? And they could drink as much as they wanted, as long as they could get to work and do their job, you know. And the army's a drinking culture anyway. I drink heavily. And, it, you know, alcohol is served at every social event. And so it's like, you know, we, we sure are kicking a lot of good soldiers out for there. Let's give them two strikes. And so we went to from zero tolerance to, you know, the first time. Then you have to go through drug counseling and, and all that. And then we'll just kick you out the second time. I don't know what the army's policy is uh, currently. And, and also back then, if you had a marijuana conviction, you couldn't enlist. But then, you know, or if you admitted that you used marijuana, except, you know, unless it was just like, oh, it was just experimentally, you know. And so, they, you know, they had to change that, too, as far as the enlistment. Um, and so I don't know what the current policy is right this moment, because I retired in 2006. Uh, but I can certainly say my view of uh, marijuana certainly changed. What is the view of cannabis of most people that are still in the military? I'm, I guess you still have some friends that are in the military still. Professional soldiers do not even think about using marijuana it's simply because it's a violation of federal law and uh, you can lose your security clearance, you know, get kicked out of the military. So it's just something you, you put out of your mind. It's not even something to consider. So it's okay to drink and okay to take opioids, as many as you want, but don't touch the plant. Yes, that is the current policy. So you've been involved with cannabis or been using cannabis personally since 2007. That's been about 12 years. So what has been your take on how attitudes have shifted regarding cannabis over that 12-year period? Well, I was on, you know, I was one of the obviously millions of people in the United States during that exact same time frame who were discovering marijuana as medicine. And it's because of hardcore, you know, what used to be called stoners uh, that preached this message and refused to stop preaching it, you know, so they finally got through to it. So, you know, I was one of millions that the doctors giving me all these pills and I don't really like the effect of them and Maybe they help me, but sometimes they don't seem to help. And they've got all these side effects, you know, is there something else we could try? And then you read about, you know, a medical marijuana state where people do have that option. And then you read their testimonies where they say, yeah, you know, it's really helping me. It's great. Uh, I like it. And then you're like, well, why don't I have that option in Texas? You know, and so that's where the activism starts. And there's always been a hardcore group of activists in Texas because Texas Normal was founded in 1973 by a group of University, Tex University of Texas Austin students out of their dorm room. And um, they founded Texas Normal and uh, some people from Normal came down and helped them get organized. 
Willie Nelson rented them a an office downtown in Austin uh, because in 1973 uh, they thought everybody thought that you know marijuana would probably be legalized in about two years. You know, everybody thought they were yeah back in back in the early 70s there was a big movement to legalize it and um, everybody thought it was would just be a couple of years um, and so. Um, they got real active, and in 1974 was the last time that Texas passed meaningful marijuana legislation, uh, which in 1974, Texas changed the law to the current law, which is possession of four ounces or less as a misdemeanor. Prior to that, any amount was a felony, even a gram, and there were 13 Texans serving life in prison for marijuana offenses in 1974. But then uh, in the uh, late 70s is when the drug war started. It became a political issue. And uh, and uh, a lot of activists in Texas became discouraged. You know, the college students graduated from the university and went on with their lives and nothing changed. Uh, but there's always been this hardcore group of activists. They, they kept pushing and pushing and pushing the issue. And uh, 2013 was the year in Texas that we uh, we had two bills. We had one bill to lower the penalty for like an ounce to a class C misdemeanor. Uh, and we had an affirmative defense bill. So two bills in the in the um, legislator legislature. And those two bills had been the two bills forever. The old activists tell me those two bills had been there forever and they couldn't get a committee hearing for either. And so we got a committee hearing for the affirmative defense bill. And it was amazing. I mean, all it is is giving you the right in court to, if you get busted for marijuana, to tell the judge, I'm using it for medicine, but you do not have that right right now. You are, you are not allowed to tell the judge that. Um, the prosecutor can object and, and uh, you, you can't, you, all, all you can say, all I say is you broke the law. You can't like give any kind of medicinal justification for it. And so we got to testify for this little nothing change. I mean, it wouldn't be nothing. It would be very important, but this change to the law. Well, and that's assuming the law passed and you could actually convince the judge that it's medical. Yeah. So many people showed up to testify for this bill that we testified for four hours. It was unbelievable. I mean, from all over Texas, people from all over Texas came to testify for this bill. It was unreal. And that was the legislative legislature's first taste of how many of us there are in Texas. The chairperson only allowed this bill to be heard as a favor to one of the other committee people uh, who was not going to run for re-election the next cycle. And so she just did it as a favor. She, she never intended to even let the committee people vote on it. It was just for show. But it gave us the opportunity to get in the newspapers and on TV and show our power. And that changed everything, right? 2013. And so many, many, many more people joined the movement after 2013. And now in uh, 2019, we have 59 marijuana bills currently pending in the legislature. So in 2013, we had two. And in 2019, we have 59. So we're definitely having an impact. Do you think after 2013, when when people saw how many folks went up to testify, that they thought all of a sudden, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Yes. yes. 
That's, I think that's why so many people joined the movement is because I thought I was all alone until I joined Texas Normal. And then I started meeting other veterans. So, you know, every veteran thinks they've discovered this on their own. And and uh, and then they meet other veterans with the exact same story. And, and same thing with cancer patients, you know, parents of autistic children, uh, people with Crohn's disease. They meet other patients that have Crohn's disease, you know. Parents with an autistic child meets another parent with an autistic child, and then it gives everybody strength. Now, rewinding for just a moment, you mentioned when you were telling your story that you were on some psychotropic meds and opioids that had side effects. Can you tell us what some of the common side effects are? With psychotropic drugs, um, common side effects are suicidal ideation. They're supposed to keep you from committing suicide, but they cause suicidal ideation sometimes. Insomnia, feelings of disassociation, feelings of lethargy, um, paranoia, um, those types of, of side effects. Did you suffer from any of those while you were on those drugs? All of them. And since you've switched to using cannabis exclusively, have you experienced any side effects from that medicine? Yes. The side effects are I feel uh, calm, relaxed, happy, confident. That, those are the basic side effects. Uh, and uh, sometimes uh, very hungry. Uh, <laughs> those are the, the basic. And, I want, and uh, you want to listen to really good music. You know, and, and hang around with cool people. That, those are the basic side effects of, of marijuana that I've experienced. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite as bad as taking psych psychotropic meds. <laughs> no, not at all. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as your PTSD and your pain went, is that something that you had trouble with while you were still in the military? Or is that something that kind of affected you once you retired? Yeah, anybody anybody that serves twenty years in the military is going to have injuries because it's you know it's like being an athlete. You know, you're running all the time, push ups, sit ups, lifting weights, carrying heavy loads. You know, jumping on and off of airplanes, all that stuff. You know, uh, when you're in combat, you're not getting any sleep, um, and so you have injuries. That, that's just it happens, and so hardly anybody gets out of the military after twenty years. That doesn't have, you know, I'm not just talking wounds, but I'm talking just, you know, basic injuries, your back, your knees, your feet, you know. And um, and so uh, uh, almost everybody that gets out of the Army after 20 years or more is all beat up. And, and so you live with chronic pain, just like professional athletes. Well, and do you think your drinking problem that you had, do you think that was a way that you coped with the PTSD and pain? Yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as I joined the Army, I saw everybody drinks, you know, at every social event, after work, you know, and, and the, the point is don't get caught driving drunk, you know, and, and all that. But don't come to work drunk. Uh, but it's the basic means of, of recreation is to uh, drink. Now, I saw that you and some other veterans recently went down to the Capitol and spent the day there. What was the turnout for that event like? We had a, we had a great Veterans Lobby Day this year. Um, about 50 total, uh, because some, uh, patients and caregivers also showed up to support us. We support patients and caregivers. They support us. So we had about 50 show up and, and, uh, we, uh, had some great training and, uh, representative, uh, Hena Hosa came in and, and spoke to us, uh, because she is all, she's still carrying, uh, that, uh, affirmative defense bill, you know, which we hundred percent support. 
So the Affirmative Defense Act hasn't even passed yet. Yes, absolutely. We, we haven't even passed that. And so she's, you know, being the champion for that, which we really appreciate. That would be a wonderful thing for us to be able for, you know, the 60,000 people who get arrested in Texas every year. Uh, for those of them who are using it for medicinal purposes, it would be nice if they could, like, you know, at least mention that to the judge. Um, and so, and the prosecutor, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't keep it from the judge. Um, so she spoke to us, we did some really good training, then we divided up into teams and visited uh, the legislator, the senator, and the representative of each person that was there, uh, and their office, you know, and some of them actually got to meet with their senator or representative. Uh, and we displayed a, uh, a wooden coffin, military wooden coffin, uh, in the E2 hallway filled with pill bottles from veterans all over Texas. And each pill bottle had a message to Governor Abbott about why that veteran needs medical marijuana. So uh, we got great media coverage. So it was a very successful day. What was your reception like from the legislators that you guys went to visit? We're getting more and more support every session. And we know that we have majority support in the House. And so our focus uh, needs to be on the Senate uh, to build support there because we're not sure uh, that we have majority support in the Senate yet. But we're, we're building support in the Senate. Then 78 legislators signed on to Representative Eddie Lucio III's uh, medical marijuana bill in 2017. Uh, so um, we, we hope he'll get his his. He's refiled his bill and made it even better. And uh, we hope to get that to the floor for a vote. Now, it sounds like y'all have plenty of support in the House, but you're kind of facing uphill battle in the Senate, right? Yes. Yeah, the Senate tends to be um, very conservative about uh, changing things in Texas. So it's a, it's a difficult uh, hill to climb uh, on the Senate. Now, one of your opponents to cannabis legislation in the U.S. House of Representatives, Pete Sessions, went down in this last election cycle. Yes, uh, we, we played our part in that. In fact, we threw the first punch in that fight. Uh, we went up there and uh, one of our uh, sponsors rented a mobile billboard that drove around all over Pete Sessions' district that day drove up to his office and got told by security guards to vacate the parking lot immediately. And uh, we held a veterans press conference with why is Congressman Sessions keeping medicine from the veterans as the backdrop. And uh, that uh, video went viral and has been seen by, you know, tens of thousands of people. And uh, so that was, uh, that was uh, us veterans, you know, we went up there to Dallas and got in the first punch on Pete. We asked him many, many, many times to stop standing in the way of uh, medical marijuana legislation in Congress, and he just wouldn't listen. So uh, we helped uh, get another person in that office that will listen. That's great. Yeah. Now, I think we've all probably heard the statistic that says that somewhere on average of 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Do you think that's something that medical marijuana could help? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang my hat on that exact number, but we do know that, uh, that the suicide rate among combat veterans uh, is unacceptably high. And uh, it's uh, for combat veterans uh, who have participated in direct combat, it, that is directly related to uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. 
the whatever the number, whatever the exact number is, it, it's uh, it's too many. And uh, but but the bottom line is for uh, combat veterans and for military sexual trauma victims who also suffer PTSD, uh, the suicide rate is uh, is unacceptable, and it's much higher than the than you know your normal civilian rate. And so, um, so we, we've got to allow veterans to have access to uh, medical marijuana as an alternative to these pills, uh, which will help the uh, suicide situation. Yeah. And I'm assuming in the states where it's legal, when they go see a doctor at the VA, it's cannabis is not even mentioned. No, that's not, um, not totally true. In the medical marijuana states, the VA passed a policy that veterans can uh, go into the VA clinic and tell the doctors that they have a valid prescription to medical marijuana and they're registered with the state. And the, um, the um, uh, doctors cannot take any adverse action against that veteran. Uh, they can just put down in their records a non-VA prescription to medication, cannabis. Um, and then they just continue on with normal treatment. So in those states, uh, you know, a lot of veterans are, you know, telling their doc, hey, you know, I got my medical cannabis card and I'm using medical marijuana. So just want you to know that, doc. You know, and the doctors might or might not discuss it with them, you know. But uh, in a state like Texas, um, the, the, um, the doctors uh, can't even really discuss it because you're admitting to doing something illegal, although... Uh, now that we have this really large veterans movement, many, many veterans are, are in Texas are going in and telling their VA doctors, yes, I use medical marijuana. I'm not going to stop using medical marijuana. You can do whatever the hell you want to do, uh, but I'm not going to stop using medical marijuana. And that's the bottom line. And so a lot of these doctors uh, have worked in medical marijuana states. Uh, and as the older doctors are replaced by younger doctors, uh, many of them understand that marijuana is, in fact, medicine, and they don't mess with the veterans anymore. But but it's on a clinic-by-clinic, doctor-by-doctor basis uh, of how they're going to react. Well, that's encouraging. Now, what was the process, your process, for weaning yourself off the meds? Because the psychotropic meds, you can't just quit cold turkey, right? Um, actually, I, I did do cold turkey on the... I, I slowly weaned myself off the opioids, but the uh, but the uh, psychotropic pills, I really felt like I had no choice but just to stop using them. Um, and and uh, definitely, um, I could feel the effect, but cannabis got me through that, right? So it just shows how powerful our, our plant is, um, that I, I did, in fact, just stop taking them, and, and uh, that, that's not not what the doctors recommend. And I told my doctor I stopped too. And he was, you know, not, uh, he was kind of surprised. Did you tell your doctor what you were doing or did you just say, I'm not taking these anymore? I was being treated by the VA, but uh, since I'm a retired military officer, I had the option to switch to a uh, private doctor because I have uh, uh, insurance related to my retirement. And so um, once I had the private doctor, uh, I told him I'm not taking those. Uh, I stopped taking the psychotropic drugs and I stopped taking the um, opioids uh, and I'm using an alternate 
uh, how'd I put an alternate natural medicine? And I think he knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, well, you know, okay, let me know if I need to renew those prescriptions. <laughs> so the Army has a new don't ask, don't tell policy. Yes, I, I was uh, taking a uh, alternate natural medication. Now, you said that after you started using medical marijuana, you were able to quit smoking and quit drinking. Is that something that you made a conscious effort to do, or just, was it just kind of a side effect? Yeah, I was going to kill myself drinking because I drank a lot. And so, uh, and it just happened gradually, and, and I didn't stop drinking. I just stopped abusing alcohol, and now I drink like a, you know, like a person should drink that's... Uh, you know, that, you know, one or two drinks a night, I'm all good. Uh, and then smoking was, uh, was a very gradual over several years, but, but I, uh, chalk it up to, to marijuana. I just didn't have that nicotine craving. It took a while, but, but eventually I don't even know what day it was. I smoked my last cigarette and, uh, kept a pack around just in case for like two years and, uh, eventually threw that away. So, I directly attribute that to, to marijuana because I was, uh, you know, I smoked and drank. They went hand in hand. You know, you drink and you smoke. It's kind of the something you do at the same time. And so I think the uh, being able to get my drinking under control helped me get my smoking uh, down to zero. So, which is, you know, miraculous to be able to kick the nicotine habit like that. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, but that that's because of marijuana. So you know, marijuana is an exit drug. We know that, uh, but but it's uh, we have to continue to educate people. It's not a gateway drug. It's an exit drug. Now we live in a state where it's not legal to buy medical marijuana or to use medical marijuana, and I'm curious, you know, where do you get your natural plant based medicine? Do you just go down to some seedy part of town on a shady street corner? <laughs> Well, you know, I bought marijuana in the early 70s, and then I bought marijuana again after the Army, and it, the same basic structure. <laughs> yeah. and nothing, that, that, in fact, that's what so surprised me is nothing had changed. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Nothing has changed. It still works exactly the same way. Yeah, even after the billions this country spent on the war on drugs. Nothing's changed, you know. Um, Texas arrests 60,000 people every year. So you look at the entire population of Texas, whatever it is, very large number. I, I've done this little calculation. I just can't remember the numbers off my head. Well, the latest surveys uh, say that 13% of people in America uh, admit to using marijuana regularly, which is defined as at least once a month. 13%. So you take the popu entire population of Texas and you say, what is the what is 13% of the population of Texas, which is probably a good calculation for the number of Texans who use marijuana regularly. And then you say, how does that correlate to 60,000? 60,000 is 2% of the 13% of Texans who no doubt use marijuana regularly. And so of all the resources expended uh, by the state of Texas all these years, they're still just catching 2% of the 
of marijuana users in the state of Texas, 2%. Normally, no one considers a 2% success rate to be success, right? But, tech, but Texas, you know, year after year after year, you know, well, we got 2% of them. Good job, guys. You know, let's do it again next year. Well, I saw last week on social media, some law enforcement agency had posted pictures of these little, you know, cannabis-related knickknacks or paraphernalia on their Facebook page, and they were so proud of that big bust. That's precinct three of the um, of a uh, constable's office. I, I forget which location. Precinct three, and so now the thing in Texas is every time the cops and I say this with all due respect, I totally respect law enforcement. Um, but every time law enforcement advertises a marijuana arrest, marijuana bust, uh, the really ridiculous ones, hundreds, thousands of people go to that site and, and comment. And, and it's, it's amazing. And, but the cops, the cops keep doing it over and over again. And people go, and some of them are hilarious, and some of the comments are heartbreaking. And so this particular instance, uh, the uh, constable's office started deleting comments, and I got banned. I made a little, all I did was, I didn't even, uh, I made one little comment about somebody else's comment that was hilarious, and I got banned. And the way, way you can tell you're banned is you can't comment or like comments anymore, right? So I got banned just because I laughed at somebody else's funny comment, you know, and uh, and our executive director, Jack Spinkle, was one of the first to comment, and her comment was over 2,000 likes, and then they deleted it. So her comment, like, was going viral, and then they deleted it. And so, um, you know, there's a First Amendment question about can a government agency delete comments on their social media from citizens, right? So we're exploring whether they violated the, the First Amendment rights of, uh, of the people whose comments they deleted, you know, consulting our attorney, you know. But, you know, attorneys have different thoughts on that subject. It's not settled law. Uh, but there is a thought that a government agency should not be able to delete citizen comments once they posted something, right? We have the right to say we don't agree with that. So... These uh, constables busted, uh, cited, they cited the person, which means they gave them a ticket. Uh, they didn't arrest them for uh, two pipes and a grinder. And then we're so proud of it, they put it on their Facebook page. And people were like, come on, man. So, yeah, that, but I mean, that happens every day in Texas now. Uh, every time there's a marijuana bust, the horde is there to make their comments. Yeah, and those comments really are pretty funny most oh, of the time. Hilarious. But the law enforcement doesn't find them to be too No, no, funny. no, definitely not. Because <laughs> they were really proud of those two pipes and a grinder that they caught. And there's always that one person that comes on and says, the law is the law. And if you broke the law, you have to suffer the consequences. And we say, man, you know, what we're saying is it's an unjust law. We're, we're just, we just want to change the law, right? It's a, yeah, okay, you break the law, you suffer the consequences. Got it. The law is the law. Fine. If it's an unjust law, let's change the law. That's our point. Yeah, no victim, no crime. Yeah, yeah.
No, I'm totally on board with that. And and being in Texas, kind of in the Bible Belt, you know, a lot of people think, well, you broke the law, you got to do the time. And they don't even give consideration to the fact that the law is wrong. Yeah, and Texas has a lot of laws. If you look, sit down and look at Texas, we have a lot. We, we make a lot of things illegal. I, I don't know how Texas got in that situation, but uh, thankfully there's some legislators starting to wake up to that and say, you know, do we really need all these laws? We, we just wanted to change the marijuana law, but, uh, but, but, you know, Texas has an issue with this uh, of outlawing a lot of stuff that, we, you know, a lot of people think the government has no business in, in those issues, but our issues, you know, marijuana. I think we can all agree, though, that the less government interference in our life, the better. Well, David, if, if folks want to look up the organizations you're involved with, what are good web pages and social media addresses? Yeah, I'm the director of veterans, director of veterans outreach for Texas Normal, and that's at uh, www.texasnormal.org. And um, the veterans Facebook page is Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana. And that's our Facebook page. Yeah, and my, my email is D-A-V-E at texasnormal.org. And so any veteran in Texas who is interested in being involved in the movement can email me at dave at texasnormal.org. Perfect. We'll make sure we get all those links and your email address listed in our show notes page. Now, as far as veterans go, do you feel like there's any counties in the state that are underrepresented within your organization? As far as veterans, we have veterans everywhere. You can't go anywhere in Texas without bumping into veterans. I mean, uh, I was down in Marfa, Texas, way down in uh, South Texas, 60 miles from the border of Mexico, and Marfa's way out in the middle of nowhere in the Big Bend area. And I had breakfast with a whole group of veterans. All those guys down there are, uh, are Vietnam veterans and veterans of every war um, that America's had. You know, so Texans, uh, they, they volunteer to serve in the military. There's, you're not going to go anywhere in Texas without finding a bunch of veterans. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, what is the response of other veterans when you tell them about medical marijuana? Do they kind of open their eyes and see the light? Or do they, a lot of them feel the same way that you used to feel about the plant? I would say um, 80% of veterans in Texas are for medical marijuana. And uh, 20% of veterans in Texas still associate marijuana with uh, hard drugs and consider it to be a gateway drug. It could be like 75, 25. Uh, but there's no doubt the majority of veterans are supported, supportive of at least medical marijuana. And, uh, but the others, you know, they still associate it. And it's from their experiences in Vietnam, uh, you know, their experiences in the neighborhoods they grew up in. And, uh, you know, Heroin, methamphetamine, uh, marijuana, alcohol, you know, just it's all together. Well, would you say that that attitude is prevalent among the older guys or is it across the spectrum? No, there, there's a there's a you know pretty significant segment of uh, young veterans who also, you know, very much against uh, marijuana as medicine and and consider it right up there with the with, with the hard drugs. Yeah. Dave, I want to thank you for your time today. We'll make sure we get all those links that you mentioned earlier listed on our show notes page for today's episode.
Yeah, and we'll put the link on our social media. That's perfect. So send me the link so that we can put it on all of our social media. You know, um, the just the three social Facebook pages that I'm an admin of, we, we reach uh, over 300,000 Texans every 28 days. Oh, my goodness. And that's uh, Texas Cannabis Collective, uh, Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana, and uh, Texas Normal. Uh, just those three Facebook pages. Uh, we reach over uh, 300, around 300,000, 350,000 people every 28 days. That's based on our metrics that we can track. And then you add in uh, your show, every other uh, social media outreach group in Texas, and I guarantee you uh, we're reaching close to a million people every 28 days. That's great. That's incredible. Yeah. And so, you're, you know, you're a part of that. And every other activist in Texas that has any kind of a social media outreach is uh, is part of that. So uh, just one of us all by ourselves can't do much, but uh, all of us together, we're, we're reaching a million people a month. Yeah. Well, it feels like the climate has shifted. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think the odds are of us seeing decriminalization or an expansion of the Texas Compassionate Use Act to include medical marijuana in this legislative session? Decriminal decriminalization has a great chance because Representative Joe Moody, the sponsor of the civil penalty bill, is second in command of the House now. He's been appointed uh, uh, Speaker Pro Tempore, if I'm pronouncing that right. So, I mean, he's, you know, who's going to go against the uh, you know, second in command of the House? So he's got some leverage now. And uh, for medical marijuana, more and more legislators are, are uh, and usually it comes about because of a family member or a close friend, um, both either getting arrested or, you know, telling them I'm using medical marijuana uh, while I take chemotherapy for cancer and I need you to, to fix this for me so I don't get arrested, you know, or their 18 year old son gets arrested for possessing an, a, a joint. And so a lot of the legislators are coming around to our point of view. Uh, and, and, you, and almost always it's because of a close family friend or, or a family member uh, has had some adverse experience uh, with law enforcement or, uh, or with uh, a medical condition. That's great. Thank you so much for your time today, David. And once we get the episode posted and I have a link to the show notes page, I'll be sure and send you that webpage address. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you, too. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. Show notes for today's page can be found at www.cannabishillsby.com slash 19. Talk to you guys later this week. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments.